This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Hotel Rio, New York, Times Square. I know a lot of you guys travel to New York regularly. You were there for the preseason. You're there for next year's preseason. Make sure to book at Hotel Rio, New York, Times Square. The Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel is located in the heart of the great city that is New York and is surrounded by emblematic sites such as Central Park, Rockefeller Center, the Empire State Building, Carnegie Hall, and the luxury stores on Fifth Avenue. Its extraordinary location makes the hotel the ideal spot from which to enjoy the authentic pace of New York life and an interesting array of cultural and leisure activities. They hooked us up big time when we went there for the preseason. Really amazing, like classy spot. If you if you want a more high-end place but not too expensive uh, and located in a good part of Manhattan, go there. Ryu.com, R-I-U.com is where you go to book. Check them out. Make sure to book your stay at Ryu Hotel, New York Times Square. And without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sobani, and Matt Wiltsey, where we discuss the win over Salzburg, the Neymar rumors, Kubo going to Vitaly, and among other things. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. It is moments after Real Madrid beat Red Bull, Red Bull Salzburg uh, 1-0. And uh, as we're recording this, we may or may not have the Castilla game on in the background where both Kubo and Rodrigo are in the lineup. And um, and today's show, we're going to talk about Real Madrid's win, obviously, but also um, Kubo going to Valladolid. Justin, really right before we started recording, we'll discuss that. And also the Neymar rumors. Uh, but joining me to talk about all this and anything Real Madrid related and answer questions and everything uh, is Matt Wilty. Matt, how you doing? Yeah, Kian, we are fresh, fresh off the game, fresh off the Kubo news, uh, plenty to talk about, so I'm doing well. Yeah, it all kind of came rushing in because um, I saw that Kubo was in the lineup for the Castilla game and then um, literally at simultaneously almost it seems like Kubo um, is off to Valladolid. So um Add him to the loan track. Vital lead, by the way. Um, this is kind of what our dream was for yeah. over a year now, right? We've been talking about Vital lead as, as an ideal destination for our loanies. So um, we'll talk about all that. We'll get to it. Let's talk about the game first, get that out of the way. So Zidane rolls out a 3-5-2. In a scheme that in a vacuum I like, it's it's got all of the, the uh, basically remedies for a lot of Real Madrid's problems, and that is defending in transition, covering for the fullbacks, um, having having depth in terms of just having that width and press resistance. It hasn't looked great under Zidane in the past because, you know, Castemiro's been deployed there as a libero. And, but today he had three ball-carrying or ball-playing center backs, which helped things a little bit. It wasn't entirely... Um, impenetrable and it had its defensive lapses but it looked good overall I thought um and especially in the first half second half was a bit of a seemed like both teams kind of just let things open up a little bit but what were your takeaways from 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 this game yeah the first half was probably our best half uh of the preseason 
And it, it was interesting to see Zidane change the system up a bit. I, I'm still skeptical about um, just some of the flaws in a 3-5-2. I thought we saw that today. I thought, and I'm sure we'll get into all the positives, but some of the flaws I saw was just, I think we struggled to find an attacking outlet, especially when uh, Benzema would come deep to pick up the ball. It was really only Hazard in front of him, um, which... <laughs> at times can work just because of Hazard's pure quality alone, which we saw today. But at other times you're really you're really lacking those attacking options and that that's a concern for me. The attacking options, um, there was definitely a whole period, especially to start the game, where Salzburg were pressing quite well early on. And Real Madrid just couldn't get out. And um, you saw that in the first minute, you saw that in the fifth minute seventh yeah. minute it kind of just went on early on they figured out eventually i think one of the things that that changed um but, but quickly actually back to your point um uh, you really I, what i was worried about was trying to get the ball to hazard and benzema and, and not have them too isolated in situations like that i think one of the things that helped was that i think isco i don't think his passing was good in this game at all especially in the first half but one thing he did do well was drop deep and provide some relief um for the pre- for the press, and Casemiro, you know, giveaway, classic giveaway in the tenth minute led to a dangerous chance. Um, but but things that also helped in this situation as the game wore on and Salzburg press kind of um, retreated a bit. They got tired. Real Madrid were able to invite them and break their press um, in the first half and and get opportunities in transition. And once they were able to get past that initial press, Hazard and Benzema had so much space, and they, 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 they looked really good in transition, especially Benzema passing to Hazard, um, created two really good opportunities. One of them resulted in a goal, and a third that, um, that didn't eventually make it to a, a clear-cut goal-scoring chance, but was, was still a decent transition attack. Um, also, I think part of it was... You look at Marcelo. This to me, like in a three-five-two, the biggest winner by far is Marcelo to me, because like he can just look back in this game and he had the security of every time and he could go anywhere on the pitch, and Militao was right there. Militao had a good first half, came off at halftime. Militao mopped up pretty much everything that went down that side, and Marcelo didn't really have to worry about it much because Cruz was also there on that left side. So Marcelo had a lot of freedom, and I don't know if it was just by by coincidence or this really was an indicator both Marcelo and Kroos looked really press resistant almost like their their peak press resistancy from a couple of years ago and that helped Real Madrid kind of escape a little bit as the game wore on and Salzburg opened up a bit yeah, you make a you make a ton of good points especially on Kroos I thought this was by far his best match um in a, in a long time not just the preseason but last season as well uh he looked really good and I think the other big winner, aside from Marcelo in this formation, I think is is Hazard. He's kind of, I think it's built to relieve him of a lot of defensive duties, and so he kind of has total freedom to uh, combine with Benzema, try and break through on the counter. And I think we saw, I think we saw a lot of that. This this formation primes us to uh, kind of release Hazard on the counter, which I, I loved, and that's kind of where his goal came from. Is just beautiful individual individual skill released by Benzema down the line cuts in and scores a, a nice curled in uh, pretty strong shot so I think um, the other the other big winners Hazard along with Marcelo yeah I would I would say those were the standouts I think to this was you know the 
I'd say the first time where Hazard, like every time he had the ball in transition, I'd jump out of my seat. And he really looked like kind of just like Chelsea Hazard. And so dangerous on the counter, man. Like the way he can just dribble past defenders uh, yeah. with ease. And even though he like, he's like, when you look at him, he doesn't look like this guy who can do that. But he's like so deceptive <laughs> with it. And his low center of gravity just lets him glide glide past opponents. Um yeah, well, I just want to touch on one other point you made, Kian, mm. was uh, Militao. I think this is kind of the, this was his debut in a Real Madrid shirt. First mm. time we saw him, and I thought he looked good. I yeah. thought um, he looked composed on the ball, was comfortable in that back three. I mean, didn't look didn't look disheveled really ever, and I thought it was a, a nice, good performance for him. What did you? What was your assessment on the change in the from the first half to the second half? Because Positionally, something yeah. seemed off in the second half. I don't know that it was so much. Uh, I don't know that it was so much tactic tactics wise as as it was just because it was both sides. It was both teams where the intensity just kind of dropped a little bit. Um, it was a little bit. It was a little bit more open. I didn't think Fede Valverde had the best game. I think he was um, a little bit exposed at times. Had a couple of misplaced passes. Um, and it was, it was uncharacteristic of him from what we've seen so far and uh, didn't think he looked too comfortable. Aside from that, I, I mean, I didn't think it was – I didn't think it was – I think we saw guys start to tire, though. Like, Isco looked exhausted to me by the 60th minute. Uh, he eventually was substituted for Lucas Vasquez, but um, he was just running his socks off, and I think, I think it was more just physical tiredness getting into the team a little bit. Yeah, and um... – I think with Valverde, he had moments of individual um, brilliance in that, like, he had, like, just to start the second half, he had this... Yeah, that first pass. Yeah, that first pass was really incredible, I thought. And it, and it was yeah. kind of... Um, it was a nice sequence altogether because Real Madrid had a few nice passes to get out of a press. Um, and then I guess... I think it was Hazard he found, right? And then Hazard eventually gets fouled. That was a nice sequence. Um, he had a nice defensive intervention in the second half, too. But I think positionally, it was a bit was a bit wonky and that led to by the way both teams kind of looked like just almost defensively not careless but like there was a lot like Salzburg had played this high line um in the second half that yeah. Real didn't fully expose like we had there were a couple of moments where Isco had a nice pass in the second half and player was offside or Vinicius dribbling sequence but then tries to shoot through four defenders Jovic had a good chance I thought Jovic looked good by the way um despite not being able to finish his one really good chance um and then Ramjit also seemed like positionally a bit lost and then um Varane also a bit clumsy too like Varane had this one really weird moment where he gives the ball away and then the player just beats them off the dribble and then Varane just fouls him behind. So yeah. there was like just yeah. moments like that that it didn't look as fluid or sharp from either team defensively. Yeah, and one thing I noticed on the attacking side of things as well, I mean, in with our in, not so much when Jovic was on the field, but um, one, well, one, first off, I still think we're really struggling to create goal-scoring opportunities and just scoring goals in general. I mean, aside from Hazard's finish and then Jovic's 1v1. I mean, besides late late in the game, there really wasn't many goal-scoring opportunities created in the first 60, 70 minutes or so. Yeah. And then, so I, I still think that's a major issue of ours. And I think one thing I'm noticing is we're just so static with our runs in the box. Like, as soon as 
as soon as it, somebody gets primed to cross or we're, we're moving up the field with a counterattack and somebody doesn't get it on their first run, nobody's recycling their run. Nobody's kind of doing those uh, jukes and fake fakes that we saw Cristiano Ronaldo do and what we know Jovic is so good at doing and just kind of slowing down his run and finding the space or recycling his run. If they don't get it the first time, everyone's just kind of standing there. And so that's that's disappointing to see because you're not you're not going to create goal scoring opportunities in that way. And that's why we're struggling with it. Um, so that's that's one criticism I had of the game. And that's not just this formation. I think that's been throughout preseason and last season as well. But I, I agree with you. I thought Jovic looked good in his limited time. He only had a um, few touches and kind of got like he just uh, got gets through one v one and does these little uh, I don't even know what you would call it. Just kind of little touches, little dink through the defender's legs or a cutback and um, finds his way into the box. And uh, I really wanted him to score that. That would have been huge for his confidence. And I think Zidane would put a little more faith in him and things like that. Yeah, it is interesting to see him play. Um, well, I guess I'm more I'm interested to see how he would do kind of in that Benzema role. I know they're completely yeah. different players, but um, I also think Jovic seemed like to me that he can he can drop deep and we've seen that um i don't think he's going to be quite benzema in terms of link up play but um i would be curious to see, i hope he gets a lot of minutes this season i think uh, he he provides a lot of an, another interesting look that we don't necessarily have from anyone else in the squad um obviously james and bale not in the squad at all um rodrigo and kubo with castilla so that really left um Lucas Vasquez and Vinicius as the understudies here. So my guess is that, I mean, we don't have the finalized roster yet. You and I talked on the last podcast that, you know, we're cutting it really close. The deadline is very soon. So if you don't find a home uh, for James and Bale before the deadline is over, um, that means a lot of Lucas Vasquez and Vinicius off the bench. And, um, if they, but if they, do, my point was actually, if they don't find a home for those two, then basically they're just going to be left out of the squad. Um, is my is my guess. So, yeah. what are your, you know, what? How do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, I think we're all kind of bummed. Maybe expecting Bale, but a little bummed not to see Hamas uh, get a chance. But it's clear. I mean. We've been saying it, Keon, since the start of the summer. Zidane is very clear in what he wants and his vision for this team. And Bale and James were never a part of that. And I don't think he wants them to be a part of it. Well, he clearly doesn't want them to be a part of it. And so the sooner they can leave in his eyes, the better. Uh, wrongly or rightly, whatever we all think of that, that's what Zidane wants. And uh, I don't I don't think it's going to be an issue for James. I think at the end of the day, if we end up having just to loan him for a year to Napoli with a option to buy i think that's probably what's going to happen um but with bail i just i do not know what's going to happen there i mean it's that that one's up in the air and he i could see bail potentially staying just because there's no there's no suitors that fit fit his needs it fit our needs um but yeah i mean it was disappointing it was disappointing not to see them part of the squad but in talking quickly about vinicius i mean he's obviously going to be we hope he's going to be a key part of the squad and get plenty of minutes. And today I thought he, I mean, he had a couple of opportunities in the box and he's just still very, very anxious with his finishing. 
Um, it's just it, he's it feels so rushed in that he, he's he's constantly just looking to just get a shot off to get the shot off for for the for the sake of getting a shot off. Yeah. Uh, rather than just kind of composing himself, maybe there was one time where he probably could have just passed it to Marcelo to try and uh, have a better look at goal. And it's just it all feels kind of rushed and anxious with him, and you can tell that's something that it's almost like he knows there's criticism about that he's getting criticism about that, and um, instead of trying to be kind of more collected about it, it it's it's mentally fra- it's mentally getting to him. Well, sometimes your mind frame in this is that like just keep shooting through it, you know, like don't just because you haven't been able to finish consistently doesn't mean you you stop shooting. So Zidane, you know. In all likelihood, was just like keep, keep shooting. But then, like when you yeah. force, start forcing shots, it 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 has almost like this counter effect where yeah. you know other players are in better positions if you kind of just roll the ball back a little bit and, and zoom out and look up. Um, definitely, like some of those shots he was taking, you could clearly tell like this is there's no, there's no chance this even goes through like three defenders in front of him. It's, it was so forced and wasn't a good angle. Um, and kind of you know that's some of part of. Vinicius is shooting this entire Vinicius experience where he he's really good dribbling, uh, good defensive work rate, good line breaking presence, but really does does not calculate anything with his shooting is what I what I what I see from him. It's just it's completely uncalculated and uncalibrated. Just get your foot through the ball and so hope something happens, um, which uh, which you know you saw like the opposite with Hazard today. Like there was clear like kind of like this purpose to what he was doing on that goal which is a brilliant strike the 3-5-2 people it's funny people are like asking me on social media like is this something we'll see like i mean the reality is i don't know nobody knows and we've seen so many examples throughout zidane's tenure that he puts out something and it's like kind of interesting it's like maybe sometimes a 4-2-3-1 sometimes a 4-1-4-1 um sometimes a 4-4-2, sometimes a 4-3-3, like back to the traditional route. And the next game is this completely flipped switch where it's like something we totally didn't expect just like it was today. So I have I have no idea. But do you think we'll see it? <laughs> Let me flip this on you. Do you do you think we'll see it more often? Because, you know, it's been reported that Zidane is kind of going into these last two preseason games as kind of something that he wants to, to, to you know, approach it more as a regular season game than a preseason game um do you think or do you think we're too thin at the center back position to execute this and too loaded in the wing position to to do this consistently yeah so i mean trying to look at this analytically and just think think to think to myself all right from what zidane saw in this first half at least i think he'll like what he saw i think he will uh continue i think there's probably a good chance we'll see it again in the next preseason. And whatever we see in the next preseason, that's our last preseason game, I think. And so whatever we see in our last preseason game is likely what we'll see in the first La Liga match. And I think I think with Eder Militao, you have someone who's ready, probably ready to play that role and be a Real Madrid starter and be a key player in this squad. Um, but... To your last point, Kian, I get concerned then with the center back position. We'll we'll have three center backs starting, only Nacho on the bench. I mean, you loan out Vallejo, you're really really thin at that position. And if anything were to happen to one of them, then you're down to three. And then 
let's say with us, we know suspension injuries are going to happen. They always happen, especially with our center backs. And so um, that that's what scares me. If we're going to we didn't build our team. I don't I don't think Saddam was building the team around uh, a five, three, two or three, five, two. So that's that's my concern. Um, it's kind of I, I don't know how much we'll see of this. Um, I assume Zidane tried it for a reason, meaning that he's interested in using it because I don't think you cut it this close to the season and just try it for the hell of it. But um, part of me does wonder if there's something that we'll throw into the season. Uh, man, I would have loved to see Vallejo in this thing because um, he's basically built for a 3-5-2. Um, yeah. Anyways, to, you know, win-win for us in a way because we're going to enjoy watching him on the lone tracker. <laughs> uh, which, uh, if you want to be a part of, go to patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Uh, any other notes from this game you want to talk about? Uh, let me take a look. I think we covered mostly everything. Okay. Yeah, everything. Um, Kubo, off to Valladolid. Um, like I said at the top of the show, you and I have talked about Valladolid as an ideal destination. Ronaldo, the president, close to home. Um, don't have to move outside of Madrid. Can still stay integrated into the city and the lifestyle while being, you know, very close to home and in an environment where you're probably going to play a good chunk of minutes. And, and you know, this is ideal for Kubo especially because we had mentioned, obviously, in the previous podcast, he's too good for Castilla. So... Now we get we actually get to see Kubo. It just hit me now. We actually get to see Kubo every week in La Liga. That's freaking amazing. I we should be really happy about this. Yeah, no, I'm. My initial impression is that I'm really happy. I think not only that he's going to be joining uh, Javi Sanchez and Jorge De Frutos, who are both uh, that's right on loan at Valladolid. So we we'll have three loanees there to make our life a little bit easier tracking. Valladolid I don't. That's be, never happened before, right? Um, no, I don't think so. Oh, goal, Rodrigo Castilla. <laughs> uh, anyways, continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't think I, the only other time I can think of like multiple like Granero and De La Red at Catafe back in the day, but that's about it. Right. Um, so yeah, if all those guys do end up playing, that would be great. And I think I think Javi Sanchez and Kubo definitely have a chance that should be in the starting ele- starting eleven. And to see him in La Liga, see him hopefully that that Valladolid team. I mean, when they're when they're clicking, they had some good pieces last year. So um, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We're seeing we're going to have a lot of young talent uh, in La Liga this year to to track. So many. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'm not sure exactly how we'll do it, but um, we're gonna we're gonna figure it out and cover everything somehow. And I think this is like. This is a really fun list of, of players to cover too. So, um, if you're if you're not a patron yet, I, to this year is the year because with the, the quality of players we got on loan this year, obviously the extra shows, everything that's coming coming along with managing Madrid, I think this year is the year to definitely become a patron. Um, where, so that leaves Rodrigo. Um, I imagine. Rodrigo will just be part of the squad um, or Castilla because that way you can just call him up. I think to go a little bit thinner and to loan him out and have no security of having that player you can call up in emergency situations and in case of emergency break glass, you might need him. So unless unless they're waiting it out to see if you can get rid of James and Bale 
first, and then if if you don't if you don't have them in the squad, then you probably want Rodrigo not too far away, right? Yeah, and the other caveat maybe. Well, we know we now know that um, Fede Valverde looks like he's going to get his Spanish passport, so that frees up one non-EU spot, which was pretty much between Kubo and Rodrigo. Yeah, and uh, looks like Rodrigo will probably take that, but. Uh, I guess it's a nice caveat for us. We obviously have heard, and we don't know how much validity there is to this. And um, but now Neymar is potentially on the table, and PSG is just looking to offload him basically anywhere but Barcelona. Um, could be a loan with an option to buy, um, and I'm pretty sure Neymar would fill up one of those non-EU spots as well. And so if he were to come into the team, that could potentially have a domino effect and then maybe it might be the right move to loan Rodrigo out. Okay, so let's let's talk about Neymar then. Um since you're you just got us on that on that track. <laughs> yeah. Um the reported deal which Jose Luis Sanchez, very re- reliable, um endorsed on Twitter was a hundred and twenty million for Modric, right? Sorry, 120, 120 million, million plus, plus Modric is what I meant to say. Which, if I'm PSG and I do that instead of 120 million plus Coutinho plus Dembele, which was the other reported deal, <laughs> if that yeah. was true, that just totally means like I will do anything to sell to Real Madrid over Barcelona because I just hate Barcelona so much. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, I mean, I really think that PSG is looking for any other club but Barcelona to, to take the deal. And I don't know, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Can I've seen a lot of people refute it and say they they don't want to jeopardize the Mbappe deal potentially a year from now. Um, and I've seen, obviously, the opposite view of that. But what, what are, what's your take? I don't think... Getting Neymar now means not getting Mbappe later. I don't think they're related, but you know we can we could see. I mean, in a in a crazy scenario, if we had one day Hazard, Neymar, and Mbappe, we'd all take that. I think the reality of Neymar is this: nobody doubts his just absurd talent and ability to turn games on their head. And again, I know we mentioned this a lot, but like I mentioned anyway. Um, he is just completely terrifying to play against. And we saw that firsthand. I think his defensive work rate is underrated. I think um, he's still a top five player if he's if he's healthy. The problem is he's missed so much time due to injury in peak moments of the season throughout the years that that part scares me. Um, so that wor- that does worry me. Um, losing Modric at this stage of a career is I'm fine with as much of a legend as he is um, because I always believe in parting parting ways with players too you know a little bit too soon um, as opposed to too late and I think Modric is basically delicately on that line right now um, which means our midfield gets really thin and that restarts the conversation of well, how do we fix that? Maybe maybe means Pogba's coming. Maybe you do end up getting uh, a player you need for that position or or just Valverde gets more minutes. I think I would do it with the with the 
known fear going into it that if he's not healthy, then that's a red flag. Um, but the ca- counter to that is, you know, the alternative to him being injured in a key moment during the season would be you just call up Rodrigo or you give that that space to Vinicius, which is not like it's not it's a, it's kind of like not a terrible problem to have anyway. That's my yeah, feeling because I I may rate Neymar a bit highly than the average person. I think. No, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I still get flashbacks to his performance against us uh, in the Barnabeu with PSG. I mean, he, yeah. every time he got the ball, you were just like, oh, my God. And same thing when he played for Barcelona. I mean, we we struggled to really contain him. And I, I agree, when healthy, I think he's a top three player in the world, without a doubt. And so yeah. I... The thing, I just, I don't love his personality. I don't love his antics. I don't love, like, every February he's injured and then goes parties with his sister in Brazil. And, like, all that stuff I don't love. But at the end of the day, he is a player that, and I think there's more, now more than ever, I think he wants to prove a point. So I think he'll he'll be, you would hope he would be uh, a little bit more serious about his profession and maybe have a chip on his shoulder. Um, but... <clears throat> The only thing that so I'm I'm kind of on I'm on, I'm in your boat I would take I would take Neymar I definitely would um, the only thing I'm worried about is I mean we signed Vinicius Jr. we signed Rodrigo we have Brahim we have Odegaard in the future uh, we have all these different players that kind of play that exact position even Hazard I mean he's a left they both their best position is on the left wing um, so. It, that's that's the thing yeah. that kind of gnaws at me is like, should we just be a little bit patient, um, or do you just you have to take the, one of the top three players in the world and just make it work? But I, mean, I understand that position. But here's here's what I would say to that: you stockpile all this talent in order for one of them to turn into Neymar. Yeah. Um, so if you can just have Neymar, you just take Neymar and you just advance the you accelerate the process is the way I, yeah. I look at it. So yeah, no, I'm yeah. I'm leaning towards that. I'm leaning towards that. Um, and it's not like the rest of those players are a lost cause. I think I think you just start. You have to then start filtering a bit more meticulously. Um, once you have, once you have Hazard and Neymar in the lineup. Now I think it would be interesting to see how they would coexist. But one thing, you know, I'm probably going to catch some kind of, some kind of flack for for again putting something on Zidane that maybe maybe I'm a kind of going a bit being a bit too harsh on him this early in the season but part of the reason part of the reason that Zidane was successful in the past is that he had entire core at their peak of their powers Um, I'm not saying he was completely a bystander in this process he clearly wasn't he obviously played a huge part in winning those titles because if it was the case if it was just the squad and not him then you know Benitez would have taken them to the promised land right before he came not saying that. Zidane is clearly was a huge part of that three-peat. But also one of the things that Real Madrid had was that if there were tactical holes, we could mask them by Ronaldo just being superhuman or Modric doing superhuman things. Neymar, to me, has that ability to, if things aren't going your way, and it doesn't mean Zidane, Zidane may even get it right. Um, but in a specific game, even like your best tactical plan just may not go according to plan. 
there are a few players in the world who can transcend the tactics and and change things. And Neymar is to me is one of them um, that can do that for you. So immediately he would he would give me the confidence of putting the team in the conversation of favorites for the Champions League. Whereas now I would say they're fringe in that conversation outside like City Liverpool. Um, I don't know. Juve, Barca to me, are, even though they've been kind of these quote-unquote choke artists in Europe lately, to me is still a bit a cut above Real Madrid right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Neymar would give us that fear factor again. Yeah. And I think um, with Hazard and Neymar both pretty much in their peak, I mean, that's, that in itself is what fans would expect when replacing Cristiano Ronaldo a year ago. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, you're, you're a persuasive man, Keon. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get to some patron questions. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Okay, so Matt and I have already talked about this loan tracker podcast that we do, but just to reemphasize how important this is. This season, Real Madrid have a bunch of players on loan. Um, as they do generally every year. This particular year, it may may be like the best, most exciting crop because um, this is a world of loanies. And right now we have Jesus Vallejo, Javi Sanchez, Sergio Reguilon, Ashraf Hakimi, Dani Ceballos, Oscar Rodriguez, Martin Odegaard, Jorge de Frutos, Borja Mayoral, Lucas Zidane, Kubo, who knows what else or who else by the end of the, the transfer window. Matt and I, every week, we watch all these guys. And then on Tuesday mornings, we record a podcast to recap the performances. So basically, you get a complete summary of all of Real Madrid's loanies, and it's only for patrons. So patreon.com slash managingmadrid is where you go to pledge, get access to that content. And once you get access to that content and you're a patron, you get a bunch of other stuff. You get guaranteed responses to your questions. You get access to other bonus shows that we do only for patrons. So make sure you jump on board the Patreon train. Um, first patron question. Frederick Rantakiro says, how many fans do you think we degained during the U.S. tour? I think another word for that, Frederick, is just lost. Do you think the terrible performances was the reason as to why we cut the U.S. tour short and went to Bayern land instead? Um, where it's impossible for us to lose any fans. Shouldn't we just visit Asia more often during preseasons to gain popularity in that huge market? Thank you. Uh, thanks for the question, Frederick. So, preseason. Yeah, I think the U.S. tour and why versus, first U.S. tour versus Asia, I think it simply just comes down to money. And I think uh, the reason why all these European clubs usually go to the U.S. is because you just get more money it's plain and simple and if we were to get more money in asia then uh, real madrid would go there and we we do we usually rotate it i think it's like you spend like five years in the u.s and then maybe you'll go to china for a year and then back to the u.s um but and as for the what cutting the u.s tour early i don't think we cut it short i think that was always planned ahead of time um real madrid schedules the preseason kind of like in the march time frame and so that was planned ahead of time but in terms of your primary question, how many fans do you think we lost during the U.S. tour? Um, I don't know. I don't, maybe we did, we certainly probably didn't gain any fans. I don't know that we we lost any fans, but I'm not sure that we gained any new fans. Especially, I mean, we didn't show anything particularly impressive, and then the seven three drubbing was just a night to forget. I wonder, like, any. I'm I'm genuinely curious. I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder, like, if anyone watching that seven three loss at Atletico 
went into that game like becoming Atletico fans. Yeah. Like, nah, they'll, they'll like, tell stories like one day, like, how did you become an Atletico fan? Well, like, I saw Zhao Felix play against Real Madrid and I was, I was all in. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a, at least a few. Um, a handful. I, the other thing about Asia, uh, besides money, is that um, in 2016, Zidane asked to shorten the preseason and not go to Asia. And part of the reason was because Ronaldo and Ramos... I think it was Ramos. I don't know if it was Ronaldo and someone else, but definitely Ronaldo and somebody else um, complained that it was too many miles, too much traveling. They spent, I think, a total of like five days just just traveling, um, just popping into. They popped into Australia. They popped into Asia. Then I think they went to the states. It was just too much, and Zidane was like, "This is too much. I, this is way too much." Um, so yeah. that's part of the reason also they haven't been to Asia. Um, so maybe if they go back, it's. It'll be more of like a more strategic way of doing it, which involves some sports science. Yeah, S- you, uh, yeah. I mean, just sorry before yeah. you move to the next question. I mean, you heard it from Jovic uh, in an interview this this year after the preseason. He was, I mean, coming to a big team and not, I mean, these smaller sides they don't go and travel all all across the globe for more than five weeks, and so you're away from your family, away from like Jovic was just saying he's anxious to get settled in Madrid, um, finally start living there and just kind of delve into life in Madrid. And, like, we forget these guys are away from their families for five months. Like, it, it's not easy. And so they're, the smaller clubs, like Real Sociedad, for instance, they just, they're playing most of their games in Spain, right in the Basque region. And so um, it, it's a, it's different when you go to a big club and kind of adapting to that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. Essa Hariri says, Hey guys, quick questions. If you had to choose three unattainable players to play with Real Madrid, who would you choose? For me, Van Dijk, Roos, um, it's a shame he didn't play for us, and Kane. Uh, do you think it's better for Real Madrid to play preseason? Okay, let's take that one first. Um, three unattainable players. What do you got? This is tough. Um, you got any at the top of your head? I mean, M- Mbappe would be one for me. I could. Uh, I kind of tempted to take the easy route, easy way out of this and just say two. Oh, Messi. Two of the three would be Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah, I didn't even think of Messi. Yeah. Uh, and then for the third one, give me your pick of like someone who can really help organize the defense and and help us in the post peak Ramos, post Ramos era, which would be someone like Van Dyke, obviously. Yeah. Um. Or, or give me a, a a more technical defensive midfielder, someone like, uh, maybe like Kante, someone I've yeah. always been a fan of, or just give me Marcos Llorente back, and I'll be pretty happy. As that's, <laughs> if I get Messi, Ronaldo, <laughs> and Llorente, I'd be pretty happy with <laughs> Do you uh, do you want to take a crack, or you're you're okay with? This? Uh, I'd go, I go probably Messi. Mbappe and Van Dyke. Okay. Mbappe does give you more of a more of a longer term window than Ronaldo does. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's as a second question? Do you think it's better for Real Madrid to play preseason games with a mix of average teams and strong teams rather than four top teams in a row like they did this year? Isn't it better for them to gain confidence by beating MLS teams, for instance, than transition to Bayern, Tottenham, and similar level teams? Yeah, I'm. I'm not opposed to that. That's how we used to. We used to play the MLS teams. I think the one thing 
I'm not so I'm not opposed to playing these big teams, but I'd rather play teams that are at kind of similar training level that we are. Like for instance, um, our first few games against Bayern Munich and Arsenal, those guys have been training for a week or two before us, and so. Um, we were behind in our preparations, and so that can sometimes tip the scales a bit. And uh, I'd rather I'd rather us play someone who kind of started training at the same time we did. I like the idea of that. I know um, <clears throat> I know Brazil um, historically have done this, where like before the World Cup, they'll go play against like either their like youth teams or against like just awful teams and just run up the score and use that as a confidence booster to head into the tournament. I think there's some science behind that. Um, one thing that um, that I don't like, which is maybe not, neither here nor there, but, but you know, because Trofeo Bernabeu is kind of one of those games that we, that we have that is usually beating up on a smaller team or a team not as good as us. I don't like how we always have that kind of after the season starts. Um, which again, this year, it seems like that's going to be the case. I don't know if the opponent is confirmed yet, but it looks like they're going to squeeze it in after the season starts early September, uh, sometimes. So just get that out of the way and have that as another confidence booster before the season starts. I think, um, Varun has a comment. He says, as a Benzema fan, I felt a little dejected as Keon and Matt didn't even take a second to talk about his hat trick in the earlier podcast. Poor guy gets an immediate three rating against Tottenham from Matt in the players rating article, but doesn't get a mention when he saved our pride from not losing to Fenerbahce. Guys, I have nothing against you, but just as a managing Madrid follower, I just wanted to express myself. Fair play, Varun. Fair play. No, I'm also. I can't believe we didn't mention it. Um, no, did that's, we? we didn't mention the hat trick. I feel like we did, but maybe not. I can't remember. I can't remember. Either. I I do remember <laughs> that. I think sometimes like. I think the context of that particular game was that yeah. the tactical wrinkles were more impressive than the three goals. Yeah. Not yeah, no, more, I, more interesting, sorry, is the word I wanted to use. Just because like yeah. it gave us the Benzema hat trick um was nice, but we wanted to just talk about the state of the team more than in you know than kind of just this hat trick. But but if we didn't mention it that's pretty bad. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, Varun, and I, 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 no, you're right, you're right, and I think uh, from my perspective, I maybe grade Benzema a little bit harder just because I hold him to a higher standard, and I think uh, especially with competition this year coming from Jovic, I hope that um, he continues to play like he did last year and really is a leader for this team. Uh, one more p- question that just came in um, after the Salzburg game. Ian Marley says, uh, just thoughts from the game for the podcast. Number one, Isco was really off uh, in this game. One of the infuriating things that has become more obvious to me the more I watch him is how often he can kill moves by holding onto the ball too long. We all know he has good vision to spot a pass, but sometimes he just ignores an obvious pass to dribble, which often stagnates the offense in transition. Some of these are more comments than questions, but what do you do? You want to do? You want to chime in on Isco? Yeah, I, I didn't think Isco was as bad as. Um... I was seeing a lot of people say on my timeline. Um, I thought he got into the right position and worked tremendously hard defensively, but I do agree that, I mean, we all know that sometimes he can hold on to the ball just a little bit too long. Um, and I, I did think his passing was off today, a little bit sloppy, but I did also think there were moments where 
Um, he, he just got, he was always an option. He was there to progress the ball up the field. I thought he got in the right, right positions in this new formation. Um, but it obviously wasn't his greatest game. Um, there was that one play in the first half in particular where he gets on the counter, he dribbles, I think, past one player, and he has a lot of time to pick out Kroos in this uh, diagonal ball, which would help the counterattack, and he just holds on a bit too long trying, trying to go the other way, and he gets dispossessed. I think with Isco in this game, part of the reason why his performance stood out in a negative way was because his passing was so bad. There were other there were other facets of his game today that were good. One is that he dropped deep to help get out of the press. Um, his defensive work rate was pretty good. The second half, he improved his passing a little bit. But in the first half, he had so many instances where his passing was off and, and you know, he didn't really connect well with Hazard and Benzema that that's, you know, stood out in that way. Um, second part of this from Ian is... Uh, do you guys think Vinicius can improve composure in front of goal and become lethal? I don't think he'll score more goals in volume, but anytime he gets a pass in the box, he seems at a loss of how to create space slash adjust himself and shoot. Uh, we did talk about this a little bit, but do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think, I mean, I do still believe he can improve his composure in front of goal. He's only 19 years old. I mean, we, we forget that sometimes. And I think uh, I think it definitely improved in this in this facet of his game, and I think he will eventually score probably 10 to 15 goals per season once he kind of hits the peak of his career. But um, it's obviously an area he needs to improve. But I, yes, I do believe he can he can improve there. Um, I think that's all all I have today to talk about, Matt. Do you want to plug anything? Or do you want to bring anything up before I wrap it up? Uh, no, I think I think that's it. I, I did just write an article um, on Van de Beek and his kind of understanding his tr- transfer and maybe where he could potentially fit um, in Zidane's system and what his impact would be to the team, even with Pogba's arrival. So if you haven't checked that out, check that out. It's called Understanding uh, Van de Beek's Transfer. Perfect. All right. So go check that out on managingmadrid.com. Um, among other things, content, constant content we're putting out there. Um, and it's it's revving up now. Now is the time we're really revving up the content. So don't don't miss a beat. Check it daily. Uh, this was fun, Matt. So next podcast, I think Om and I are going to do a mailbag tomorrow. And then Churros y Tacticas on Friday for those of you listening on that uh, with Diego and I. And then uh, one more preseason game, Roma, and then we're, we're, uh, we're starting the season. So should be fun. Exciting times. Uh, Matt Welty, thanks for joining the podcast. And hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.